Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The weather in rural Kentucky makes it difficult to find a devoted husband and father when he vanishes into thin air. There was something in me that knew right then and there that something was wrong. We weren't thinking anything like this would have happened in our town for sure. The long search effort is hindered by brutal winters, extreme summer heat, and hard spring rains. This case was presented with weather challenges across all the seasons. And it would transition from rain to blowing snow. The weather was crazy. Could torrential downpours help police get to the bottom of this mysterious disappearance? They had a crazy amount of flash flooding. They hadn't flooded in that area in years, and it did, and it was a miracle. In the end, the weather solved this case. Nestled in the Ohio River Valley, in the center of western Kentucky, lies the rural city of Madisonville in Hopkins County. Madisonville's what you would call a small town. We don't have a lot of crime. It's, it's a good place to live. It's a very friendly place, and most everyone knows everyone in, in, in our community. It's just a very small, close-knit community. Because of its location, Madisonville experiences all four seasons, with spring being the most intense precipitation. Spring rains can be heavy in this area. They can easily get six to eight weeks where it rains every single day. And in June of 2013, after a string of storms dump heavy rainfall across the region, Madisonville was experiencing intense flash flooding. They had seen so much rain already. Then these storms lasted a couple of days, dumping more than six inches of rain. They hadn't seen flash flooding like this in years. In places that don't normally flood, flooded. Detective Scott Troutman of the Hopkins County Sheriff's Department is home when he gets a phone call from the station that a local resident has made a mysterious discovery along Continental Drive. At this point in time, we've had a lot of rain. And then after the flooding and the waters received, the rains had subsided. So people started going back outside. And the owner of this property went out to the back of his yard. He is stunned over what has washed up after all of the flooding. And that's at which time he called uh, law enforcement. Detective Troutman knows this is the exact location of a missing persons case that has stumped local authorities for nearly three years. I got in my squad car and headed right over to the scene. Could this discovery be linked to the disappearance of 42-year-old Rodney Bo Hale?
Rodney Brent Hale was born on April 27, 1968 in Princeton, Kentucky. But everyone called him Bo. My grandfather on my dad's side actually is the one that gave him the nickname Bo when he was just a baby and it stuck. When his parents divorced four years later, Bo's mother moved 35 miles northeast to the small town of Madisonville. Bo became the oldest of six children, four sisters and a brother from blended families. Bo was one of these that even back then he was always athletic, always playing baseball, basketball, biking. He was a regular kid, had lots of friends. Once he hit his teens, Bo couldn't sit still and kept busy working odd jobs. He was working a lot of construction type jobs, drywall, painting. I think he really liked and enjoyed working with his hands. As a teenager, he was all about hunting and fishing and that kind of sport. If he wasn't working, he was fishing. If he wasn't fishing, he was working. He was a big catfish and bass fisher. He didn't catch them to eat them. He would just fish for the fun of it. He would catch and release. Then in 1989, at 20 years old, Bo was at his little sister's birthday party and met his soulmate. 22-year-old Cindy Lawfrey was a beautiful, vivacious single mother with a six-year-old daughter. I don't think he took his eyes off of her the entire time during that party. <laughs> Her bubbly, outgoing personality is really what drew Bo to her. He liked to laugh a lot. He had this great smile, and he was just a very handsome, charismatic person. And they dated it, and I think they were together from, from then on. A year later, on June 2nd, 1990, the two wed, and Bo instantly became the devoted father to Cindy's daughter. Bo loved her. He raised her like she was his own, and he treated her like she was his own. 14 months later, Bo and Cindy had a child of their own, and he was especially excited to father a boy. When he found out, oh, Lord, his feet never hit the ground. To support their growing family, Bo found steady work as a self-employed construction worker, while Cindy went through respiratory therapist school. It was a challenge for her, but I know that she did enjoy that work very, very much. In 1993, the young couple decided to move their family to a house in the town of Nebo, just 10 miles away. He needed a little bit of work, he loved it. He had a big, big backyard so he could play with his kids. That's one thing he really did love about it. And when his son was old enough to play basketball, Bo volunteered as a coach for his team. And I know he absolutely loved that. He loved being around the kids. As Bo's business grew, he quickly made a name for himself. Anywhere you went, people knew who Bo was. He would help anybody. He would give his shirt off his back if someone needed it. That's just the kind of man he was. And he always carried his work tools with him everywhere he went, especially his favorite, a hammer with a hatchet on the other end, given to him by his father. I think it had more to do with his work and his hobbies, like fishing. It would be nothing for him to just be driving down the road and, and be like, oh, that looks like a great spot to go fishing. And he would have acts for chopping trees and weeds and things. Then in 2007, Bo considered it a blessing when his stepdaughter gave birth to a baby boy, making him a new grandfather. 
Beau was extremely excited to be a grandfather. Which is why no one could believe it when on November 29, 2010, he seemed to just disappear off the face of the earth. Now, on June 29, 2013, three years later, Detective Troutman is on his way to Continental Drive, hoping that what's been discovered after these floods will give them the answers they've been waiting for. I'm a man of faith, so I say a prayer, asking the Lord to give me a clue, give me something to work on to help give this family some closure, you know, stole me a bone. Could the rainy weather help give detectives the big break they need in this nearly three-year-old case? I'm pretty sure it was a miracle that it actually flooded that area. You didn't know at the time it was happening what a huge part it was going to play in the story. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. In June of 2013, a series of unrelenting storms dumped torrential rains, triggering flash floods across Madisonville, Kentucky. It was raining for days. More than six inches fell on already saturated ground, and that created plenty of flash flooding. Every spring, we will have the battle floods, whether it's headwater from the initial rains or whether it's backwater from one of several rivers backing up. Detective Scott Troutman from the Hopkins County Sheriff's Department is driving toward a rain-soaked Continental Drive. As recent floodwaters recede, a resident has found something on his property that could tie into the missing persons case of 42-year-old Bo Hale. 
Nearly three years earlier, on December 2, 2010, as Western Kentucky has headed into winter, with chilly days and freezing nights, the Hopkins County Sheriff's Department received a frantic call from a woman named Cindy Hale. She stated that uh, she had not seen her husband, Rodney Bo Hale, since November 30th. She told the dispatcher that her husband, Bo, had gone to do a construction job in Madisonville three days before and never returned home. He wasn't answering his phone and he wasn't calling her back. And she knew, yeah, something was up, something was wrong. Cindy didn't have any idea where he was at. She just knew that it was uncharacteristic for him to disappear for three days in a row. Deputies asked her to come to the station. Once there, an emotional Cindy tells deputies that the last time she saw Bo, he was supposed to go to a house on Continental Drive to put up no trespassing signs on the property. But before he left around 2.30 that afternoon, Cindy admits that she and Bo had argued. Him and Cindy had got into it, and when they got into it, he would usually go camping. He had a tendency to want to be alone with nature. You know, he would pack up and go fishing and not tell anybody what he was doing or where he was going. She thought he would be back because he always did come back to her. Cindy also explained why she waited so long to call. She was under the impression that you had to wait 72 hours before you could report somebody missing. Before Cindy left the station, she gave deputies a photo of Bo and told them he drove a black pickup truck. When she got home, Cindy informed the rest of the family. I wasn't immediately alarmed. It wasn't really that out of the normal for him to not be reachable. So I started calling around um, to my cousins to see if they had seen Bo or anything, and they told us no. Back at the station, deputies put out a bolo for Bo's truck and tried to locate him through his cell phone. So the deputies attempted to uh, locate Bo Hale utilizing cell phone triangulation. Law enforcement back then was still able to triangulate, but we didn't have all the software apps that would help us today. Unfortunately, they didn't pick up any signal. This is uh, not out of the ordinary. The phone's turned off, the phone's submerged. We have coal mines here in this area. Deputies wondered if maybe Bo just needed time to blow off steam. They just thought Bo had gotten a fight with his wife and had just took off somewhere. They didn't have a whole lot to go on. There was nothing at that point in time to suggest foul play. But after multiple family members reached out to Bo with no luck, they started to get concerned, especially because of the weather. Temperatures dropped down into the 20s, creating snowy and icy conditions. And anyone outside in that type of weather can get hypothermia. Hypothermia begins to set in when the air temperature is below your body temperature. And what happens is, is you lose the feeling and the ability to use your extremities because the blood is being taken to your core to protect your main organs and keep you alive. It was brutally cold. And we had thought, okay, maybe if he's went fishing, if he was hurt, you know, that he didn't have enough with him and that honestly, that he had froze to death. So his family decides to look for him themselves. We spent a lot of time looking for his truck. And I can remember being, um, we were just driving around searching aimlessly, really. 
they were going to go down Continental and hand out the missing persons posters that we had made up and just pass them out to all of the houses and ask them if they had seen anything, if they knew anything. While handing out flyers, one of the residents tells Bo's family about an abandoned black pickup truck he found on his property a few days before. He didn't think anything about it. He thought it was a hunter that maybe had went out and just for whatever reason parked his truck there. He called and had people come out and tow it. And the tow yard was not even five miles from Continental Drive. And so we hightailed it straight there. And as soon as we got there, I knew without a doubt that that was Bo's truck. And we had to call the sheriff's office and let them know that we'd found his truck. Deputies responded to the scene and uh, learned that it was the truck of Rodney Bo Hill. Police learned from the tow service that a resident on Continental Drive had the abandoned vehicle towed from behind his house just days after Bo had disappeared. Inside the truck, Nothing appeared out of the ordinary. The keys weren't in the ignition. Uh, the tools were still in the truck. Police also found his wallet containing $40 and Bo's ID. It caused great concern. Bo would not just disappear and leave his truck with all of his tools in it. So we told him, OK, you know, we're telling you something is wrong here. He did not just disappear. Deputies headed to Continental Drive and Bo's last known whereabouts. As the Hale family and police worked together to try and find Bo, deputies discovered a possible person of interest. You can't tell me that, you know, they didn't know what happened to him. Your gut tells you that something's amiss, uh, something's a foul play. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. 
Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. In June 2013, Detective Scott Troutman from the Hopkins County Sheriff's Office in Kentucky has arrived to Continental Drive, where something suspicious has been found after intense rains. A storm system brought a massive amount of rainfall in a short period of time. So we saw flash flooding in neighborhoods across the county that don't typically flood. Detective Troutman knows it's the same area where Bo Hale said he was going before he disappeared three years before. Three days after he was reported missing, Hopkins County deputies learned that Bo's abandoned truck had been towed from Continental Drive soon after he was last seen by his wife. But at least now they know Bo is missing. His truck was here, his wallet was in his truck. So deputies went back to where the truck was towed from and canvassed the area. Conducting a search and talking to people in the area, they learned that Bo was in fact doing some uh, handyman work. They go to the residence where Bo was working and spoke with 21-year-old Jessica Settle and her 25-year-old boyfriend, Craig Davenport. They learned the house is owned by Jessica's father, who is out of town. Jessica Settle was staying at that residence and periodically her, her boyfriend, Craig Davenport, was also staying there. Craig admitted that Bo was doing some work there at the house. And talking to Craig Davenport, um, they noticed that he had an injury on his arm. That's when Craig admitted that he saw Bo a few days before, on November 30th. He said around 3 a.m., he went outside to make a phone call. You have to come outside the residence to make a phone call because there's no cell service from inside. That's when Bo walked up and allegedly attacked him out of the blue. He told the deputies that he was hit with a sock that had a cue ball inside of it. He said Bo then ran off down the road, and that was the last time he saw him. Jessica claimed she didn't see anything. It all seemed rather suspicious to police. And the fact that uh, Craig Davenport is at that residence and he has injuries, of course, raises red flags. You can't tell me that, you know, they didn't know what happened to him. The two agreed to let the deputies search the house for any evidence of a struggle, but they found nothing. So they headed back to the station and checked with the local hospital. They learned that Craig had been treated there on November 30th, just four hours after the attack. But Craig's story kept changing. They learned that he was treated for a broken arm and some minor scrapes and stuff on his knees and on his shoulders and, and elbows and stuff. Davenport had indicated to the ER staff and he had got into an altercation with his cousin who had hit him with her two by four. Fearing foul play was involved, detectives took over the case. At that point in time, this thing gets turned over to investigations. Since Craig was the last one to see Bo, they focused on him and found out that Craig was very familiar with the criminal justice system. In fact, he had recently been charged with multiple violations the previous May. 
Craig had been in and out of jail several times for drug charges. Everybody knows Craig Davenport loved his drugs. When Craig was released from jail, that's when he periodically started staying with Jessica, who was pregnant with his baby. Deputies questioned Craig Davenport. But at this point in time, they didn't have a body. Uh, they didn't have a motive. They don't have anything to go on. And Craig was sticking to his story. They even gave him a polygraph, and he passed. Detectives were left scrambling for their next move. They had a pretty good suspicion that he was involved in something that happened to Bohel, but they didn't have anything concrete to go after him with. That's when investigators decided to conduct a full-scale search around the home and area where Bo's truck was parked. And they were going to bring in the search dogs, and they were going to bring in the firefighters from the volunteer fire department to search the area around across the street behind the house. Will the search reveal clues to Bo Hale's whereabouts despite the harsh Kentucky winter? It was below freezing, and then a strong wind came in, and it would transition from rain to blowing snow. I'll never forget those first days. The weather was crazy. Bo Hale has been missing for eight days, and family and friends have been searching for him tirelessly. Authorities set up a perimeter to search the area where Bo's truck had been towed from. Since they weren't able to locate any signs of the struggle from inside the residence, they expanded their search to be uh, the outside. To help with the search efforts, Bo's family contacted a local volunteer search group called Jody Powers Search and Rescue. At that point, there was still hope that Bo Hale was alive. Uh, so we were hoping to find him somewhere in a building or somewhere maybe wandering in the woods. His vehicle had been found, and, and no one knew that he hadn't left on foot. That was our main goal as we searched. As many as 100 searchers braved the brutally cold winter in hopes of finding answers. But snow and frigid temperatures made the search challenging. There's snow, there's ice, and we're crawling down in old cold pits and going through the woods and all that, just trying to find them. In the winter, the ground's hard from being frozen. You're, you're less likely to get tracks from a potential suspect. Search parties were unable to remain outdoors for too long to prevent getting hypothermia. And then we began to get ice on all of our stuff and on the roads. And so you can imagine the kind of search conditions that created. Even search dogs had a tough time. They have to battle the, the, the winds. They have to battle the cold temps. And these kind of conditions make it hard on the dogs to smell. It helps them if it's, it's a warm environment, a humid environment, because it will activate the odors, so to speak. So um, being as, you know, the searches were conducted in the December, you know, a lot of them around Christmas time and in a very cold environment would have deterred any, any potential results from the search. Fog or a super shallow layer of clouds can develop over the frozen ground and stop the scent from spreading. And wind direction can also make it hard for a dog to locate the scent. 
we were concerned that Bo might succumb to the elements. So we were speaking his name, hollering his name, checking every road we knew to check. We'll never forget those first days. The weather was crazy. Despite the harsh winter weather, the search proved fruitful when Bo's family made a surprising discovery when they figured out where he had last been seen. Right in front of the residence and the street running down the front side of the residence, they were able to locate a hatchet sheath, a Smith & Wesson hatchet sheath. But the actual hatchet was nowhere around. It was a hammer hatchet combination that he always carried with him, and he carried it in a sheath. They found that sheath laying literally on the side of the road. We immediately called law enforcement and, of course, didn't touch anything. Deputies went back and researched Bow Hill's truck after learning that he did, in fact, carry one of these and were not able to locate either the hatchet or the sheath. There was something wrong because he would not have just left it laying there. The find only confirmed detectives' theory that foul play was involved in Bo's disappearance. And even though their guts said Craig Davenport was involved somehow, they had no proof. This could be a frustrating time for law enforcement. Your gut tells you that something's amiss, something's a foul play, but they don't have anything to go on other than the fact that Bo Hill's truck was there at the residence and Craig Davenport says that he doesn't know anything. They didn't have any real leverage to hold over Craig Davenport's head, so to speak. After two days of searching with no sign of Bo, investigators had to look elsewhere for leads. The only thing that we could do at this time is just keep our head down, keep plugging away, utilize our drug investigators to try to find us leads, to put their confidential informants to work, find out what the word on the street is, turn up the heat on everything they can to try to find out if anybody knows anything, whether it's hearsay or, you know, witness testimony that uh, could aid us in this investigation. Meanwhile, Bo's family refused to give up. They searched throughout the winter and into the spring. And I told my mom and sister, I said, I will not stop until I find him. No matter what, I will not stop. I said, if it was me, he would tear this town apart until he found me. And probably the first six months, there was somebody searching every day. Now, bigger searches were on the weekends when people were off work. You're not just searching for the physical person. You're searching for evidence, a shoe, a piece of clothing, a weapon, if it turned out to be a criminal event. But as time went on, there were no new leads. After a while, the, the trail goes cold, and you just don't know where to start, where to go, what else you could do. And with each season came a new challenge in the search. In the spring, you can have flash flooding that will wash away certain evidence. In the summer, you have extremely large amounts of high humidity. In the fall, the leaves are falling off the trees. They can cover up certain pieces of evidence. Each of the four seasons in themselves can represent challenges. After almost three years with no answers, the wondering and waiting took a huge toll on Bo's family. The longest three years of my life. Uh, we didn't know where he was. I kind of went, I guess, a little crazy, some people say. Everything I did, if I was not working, I was searching. I was looking. I about lost my marriage. 
The not knowing is the worst feeling ever. Not knowing what happened, not knowing where he is, not knowing if we'll ever find him. So the Hopkins County Sheriff's Office tries a different tactic. In mid-June of 2013, they put a new investigator in charge of the case for fresh insight, Detective Scott Troutman. This is not my first homicide. I've been a detective for 12 years up at this point. So all those um, experiences, all the lessons I've learned, all the training I've had, it's now my time to pull those together and uh, try to figure out what happened on this case, uh, what happened to these bones, where these bones came from, uh, what are they a result of. Only two weeks into his investigation, Detective Scott Troutman has arrived at Continental Drive. It's the same place where Craig Davenport and his girlfriend Jessica Settle had lived three years before. The owner of this property went out to the back of his yard, and after the waters had receded from the stitch line, he noticed what appeared to be uh, human bones. And that's at which time he called uh, law enforcement. The area is still saturated from all the recent flash flooding. The terrain of this residence is low in elevation. And it's obvious with the amount of water that this place has been holding from the rains. The yard is muddy. The ditches are still holding a lot of water in them. I walk back to the back of the yard. Detective Troutman meets the owner and deputy who has secured the scene. I spoke to the owner of the residence and uh, he advised that he had saw the bones in a, in, there, in a ditch line behind his house. Troutman learns a culvert, which is a drainage pipe to channel water underneath the road, has been backing up for months during hard rains. So when the neighbor sees this white tarp hanging out in the downstream area of the culvert, he rips that tarp out in hopes of unplugging the culvert. And that's when all the bones went downstream. Further searching uncovers a pair of gloves and a boot, both containing bones. Detective Troutman takes a close look. We located what appeared to be a jawbone located what appeared to be a femur. We located several rib bones. It's not my first homicide, so I'm, I'm feeling fairly confident that these are human remains. Could these bones be the remains of Bo Hale? And if so, how did they get there? It was game time. I was gonna give it everything I had to try to figure out what happened. It's June 29, 2013 in Madisonville, Kentucky. And Detective Scott Troutman is on Continental Drive after flash floods have unearthed bones where 42-year-old Bo Hale went missing nearly three years earlier. That area received an enormous amount of rain five days earlier with more than six inches falling. All that flash flooding resulted in overflowing drainage ditches and creeks. Investigators are pretty confident they are human remains. While searching for more bones, authorities also make another critical find in a rain-soaked ditch. They recover a hammer hatchet tool, like the one Bo carried. So now all signs are pointing to the fact that we may be coming to um, solving this missing person case, but we still have a lot of work ahead of us. 
The bones are sent to the medical examiner, and the next day, results confirm what Troutman suspects. We were able to learn that those were, in fact, human remains. However, there was not enough evidence from what we located to extrapolate DNA to get a positive identification. But Troutman is pretty confident they belong to Bo Hale. He decides it's time to speak with Craig Davenport. Detective Troutman finds Craig living in Central City, about 30 miles east, and brings him in for an interview. Tell me what the series of events was on this night um, that Bob Hill and this. I'm talking on the phone. I walk around the back of the house and uh, and I see a shadowy figure and the figure runs up on me and I see it little bow. And uh, and he's got he's got a sock, he's got a tube sock with some with an object in it, I don't know what it was. He swung it at me three times. All right, and on the third time, he struck me in my arm. All right, and I started inching my way back in the house, you know, to get, to get safety. And then, uh, and then he, and then he took off. Unfortunately, Craig sticks to the same story. I'm telling you the truth. I mean, I, I had nothing to do with this man's disappearance. I never laid a hand on him. I didn't touch him. I didn't yield any results from that. It interview that were any different from what uh, he told the, the t deputies in 2010. So Troutman continues to dig for more and learns from the owner of the home why Bo may have attacked Craig. Craig wasn't supposed to be at the house. The owner of the house didn't want him there. Bo had been tasked by the owner of the house to watch the house. But detectives need more, and they're about to get it. Nearly a month after the unidentified human remains wash up, more bones are found, this time underneath the culvert. The Hopkins County Road crew went out there to, to remove a concrete slab. When they do, they see the top of a skull cap. Troutman arrives with a medical examiner, and they discover even more. We were able to locate jeans. We were able to locate a shirt. We were able to locate the majority of the bones. The jeans contained Bo's car keys and his cell phone. Carefully extrapolated the bones from the sediment. And that's when I got the teeth. While testing is done on the teeth and upper facial jaw bones, Troutman gets Bo's dental records to compare. The next day, an autopsy is performed. The medical examiner is able to piece together about 70% of the skeleton. And what authorities see stuns them. The medical examiner determined and found a, a chop mark uh, on the right side of the skull. There is also a chop mark in a rib bone caused by a blunt object. When Troutman places Bo's hammer hatchet tool into both wound marks, they are a perfect match. And now we were also able to determine that Bo's hatchet was in fact the weapon that Bo had been murdered with. Six days later, based off his dental records, the remains are confirmed to be Bo Hale. Authorities rule his death a homicide. Troutman now has the difficult task of delivering the heart-wrenching news to his family. When they gave us the news that yes, with 100% accuracy, it was Bo, 
and it's still just like it had happened all over again. Now Troutman wants to talk with Craig Davenport again. Well, I've got all kinds of uh, ammo, so to speak, now from my interview with Craig Davenport. Troutman brings Davenport in for more questioning and learns the truth of what happened to Bo. Craig decided to come forth and uh, tell us the story of what happened at night. In Madisonville, Kentucky, the search to find Rodney Bo Hale was hampered greatly by the weather. This uh, investigation spanned across all four seasons and did so three times. So it was another obstacle, another challenge that we had to overcome. But then severe rains causing extreme flash flooding washed Bo's remains out of his watery grave where he was hidden for almost three years. I remember the flood very well. It was undoubtedly the only reason we found my brother. That was our miracle because that, as far as I know out there, had never flooded. I think God just knew we were at the end of our rope, that we really couldn't take it anymore. And so he decided to grace us and let us know that yes, Bo had been found. I got home and was speaking with my wife, and, and I was just shaking my head after all the work, after everything that had been done by everybody. A little rain brings him home. And now Detective Scott Troutman is closing in on Bo's suspected killer, Craig Davenport. So in interviewing Craig, I tell him that I've learned since our first conversation that uh, he wasn't supposed to be at the house. And he knew it, and Bo knew it. He spells it out clearly for Craig. After realizing with the amount of evidence that we had against him, Craig decided to come forth and uh, tell us the story of what had happened at night. According to Craig, he went outside to make a phone call and Bo came at him with his hatchet. He said he stuck his arm up in the defense, at which time the hatchet hit his arm, subsequently broke his arm. But it knocked the hatchet loose from Bo's grip. Craig then reached around and picked up the hatchet on the ground, at which time he struck Bo with it. Since Bo was hit in the head and back, most likely from behind, Craig can't claim self-defense. There was no way to prove 100% whether he was facing him or whether he was running away. In the end, murder's murder. Craig said he wrapped Bo's lifeless body in a tarp and stuffed it inside the culvert. It was there the entire time, but it was never fully searched because the complex 151-foot length of the drainage pipe made it impossible for police and cadaver dogs to crawl inside. It wasn't until we got a large amount of rain that flooded the culvert, revealing his bones. It was a sad, tragic series of events that occurred but I could see the relief on Craig's face to finally get the weight, the burden off of his shoulders. Troutman believes Craig had help from a friend getting rid of the body, but there is no evidence to prove it. Craig admitted to all that, except for the fact of, uh, that he had any help. It was at that point in time that uh, I placed him under arrest 
for the murder of Rodney Bohill. Craig is set to go to trial in May 2015 for second-degree manslaughter, tampering with physical evidence, and intimidating a witness. Bo's family aren't happy with the charges. The DA, even though we had told him over and over and over about Bo carrying his hammer axe with him, they said, well, he brought it there, so he was looking for trouble. And that's why they went with second-degree manslaughter. They can call it whatever they want. This man put an axe in the back of my brother's head. He's a murderer. He let us suffer for three years. Then in September 2014, Craig accepts a plea deal and agrees to plead guilty to second-degree manslaughter while the other charges are dropped. He receives a sentence of 10 years in prison. Paroled in October 2017, Craig ended up serving just over three years, nearly the same amount of time that Bo Hale was missing. In the end, it just seems like he was kind of got a slap on the wrist and told not to do it again kind of thing. For Bo Hale's family, their loss is still felt today. Main thing about Bo was he was a loving family member. He was a good friend. People don't understand when they take someone else's life, they're not just affecting that person. Bo was a son, he was a husband, he was a father, he was a brother, he was a friend. I cannot tell you how many people this affected and still affect. I talk about Bo probably every day to somebody at some point. I have pictures all over my house of him. I miss him every day. Um, every time something happens, I still try to go and pick up the phone to call him. It doesn't matter if it's been 10 years since he went missing and seven years since his remains were found. He's with me every day. Everyone involved agrees that if it wasn't for the rainy springtime weather, Craig Davenport may have gotten away with killing Bo. If we had not gotten that six inches of rain and that area out there flooded, we still would not know where Bo was at. The flash flood found my brother. Literally, a flash flood. They hadn't flooded in that area in years. And it did, and it was a miracle. Weather had a big impact on this case. It presented many uh, challenges and uh, many obstacles for us. But in the end, weather solved this case.